welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. And if we haven't had a chance to meet in person yet, my name is Scott. I'm part of our leadership team here at Commons, and I spend most of my time here at our Inglewood Parish, a community that in just a few weeks when we gather for the first time in 2020, we're going to mark two full years of work and relationship and celebration together, which is pretty amazing, right? Many of you have been here for two years. Some of you have joined us along the way, but either way, we're going to celebrate that together. And as exciting as that is, looking back to see our growth together and seeing the relationships that have formed... Uh, the efforts that we've made to tell and share the story of Jesus, they're actually two. And looking back, that's so wonderful. But we are also hopeful about the work that we have in forming new community partnerships in the new year and new opportunities to learn each other's stories in various places and new chances to join God in all kinds of simple daily renewal. Now, with that said, it is not 2020 yet, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. As Yelena mentioned just a few moments ago, we are so glad that you've joined us here this morning, right on the edge of Christmas Tide, which is this celebration that we're getting ready for, and the last week in our Advent prayer series. And we're actually going to touch on one more prayer phrase when we are together here in this space for Christmas Eve, so we aren't quite done yet. So far, we've actually worked through the Magnificat and the Fiat Mihi and the Gloria in Excelsis. Those terms are just the Latin equivalent for the English word that begins each of these prayers in the text. And they represent Mary's meeting with Elizabeth and her shout of worship in that conversation. Mary's run-in with the angel's promise and her response to that angel of saying, let it be to me. And then last week, we looked at the story of these angels calling for glory in and for all things. This song written for the size and the scale of the universe, but then delivered to some shepherds in the backcountry. And listen, if we believe, as Eugene Peterson says, that prayer is our way of being attentively present to God who is present to us then our focus on these tales turned prayers is more than just a rehashing of some stories that might be familiar to some of us. These Latin words and the prayers they begin, they're meant to wake us up, whereas we take each line and we find the parallel between our lives and those in the story, we find that God is present to us. In the protest of Mary and her calls for reversal, but also Mary's openness and her curiosity and her will to live a life full of divine potential despite the risk. And in the ways that glory found and shone its light on those shepherds and how in the story's telling we discover that that same light shines today so that we can be found too. These stories and the songs and the shouts and the whispers of each character, they are all a way for us to find words for the space we're in and the darkness that we're in. Words that open up or open us up to how God might have worked in the ancient text and in old familiar stories, yes, but then too, how God might be present right now in the challenge and the turmoil of our experience here in Calgary at the end of 2019. Now, Today's text is no different, but before we jump into that, I'm going to invite you into a moment of quiet and stillness. Let's pray together. God, of stories wide and sweeping, and of moments quiet 
and still. We are present to you now. In this season that's marked by busyness and often with distraction, but then also for some of us it's marked with tension or pain or absence. And we take these moments, and while we acknowledge the strain in our souls, perhaps some weight that we bring with us today, we also give thanks for the gift of community for the marking of space and time together, for the ways that you come and you make simple things holy. You make our welcoming holy, our affection, and our attention to and for each other. And in this space, we ask simply that you would come and be with us. Teach us to know your gentle way in the world now and in this year that is just ahead of us. This we pray in the name of Christ, infant God, our hope. Amen. All right. So, a little over 11 years ago, our son was born. And he was number two for us. And parts of the day that he arrived were a bit nerve-wracking. Our white-knuckle rush hour drive into downtown Vancouver to try and get to this hospital. And then my wife, Darlene, strongly resisting the use of a wheelchair to get up to delivery. So... We ended up breathing through contractions together quite loudly right outside the elevator as people were coming and going at the end of the day. It was awesome. And then also how our son arrived about 20 minutes after we got to our room. He was in a hurry to get into the world. And I'm not going to give you a complete play-by-play -play of that day. But I do want to say a bit more. But before I do, I want to note how Advent is full of expecting announcements and gender reveals and birth stories. And of course, we all have one of the latter, whether we know the details of our birth or not. And part of what Advent rhythms stir up in us is this callback to a divine birth story, to the image of God, the vulnerable arrival of the divine in a first century barn, and to the act of God's solidarity with our particular human journey, an act that can say something to us. And we're going to come to that in just a few moments. Because back to our son. He was born. And because he and Darlene were healthy, our midwives sent us home about four hours after we had arrived at the hospital, which is kind of crazy, right? So on our way home, we stopped at a cafe for Darlene to get a caffeinated beverage that she'd been craving for nine months. And then we drove the rest of the way home. And we were living with some good friends at the time. And when we rolled in, they joked that it's as though we had just gone out for a date night and come back with a baby, and because it was a little surreal. But what was wonderful is that we spent the rest of the evening with these people we love taking turns holding this child. The catch is that he didn't have a name. And we don't really remember why we didn't have one ready. I mean, I think we kind of stay on top of our lives for the most part, and name books and the internet were a thing, so we didn't have some options. And we'd actually already named one kid, so you'd think we would have been prepared for this question, what's his name? And literally for a week, we had to say, uh, we don't know, because we didn't. We had some names ready in the event that we had a second daughter, but when a boy arrived, we had to take a few days to figure it out. During which, in the meantime, people started calling him all kinds of things, like Mr. Man, and then our daughter called him some variation of Gush, and there were many others. And I'm sure there was also some people who thought we were crazy for having a no-name baby. And for the record, 
his name is Brandon, which is an old geographical term that refers to a beacon hill, which is kind of cool because he is a strong beacon in our family, for sure. Anyway, I tell you this naming story because our text today has a birth and a botched naming in it too. It includes our Advent prayer for today as well, which we're going to get to, but first, the story. And for today, we actually rewind a little bit to before Jesus is born, and we read in Luke 1 that when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And just a quick refresher here, Elizabeth is the older cousin of Mary, who will soon become the mother of Jesus. And Elizabeth's husband is a guy named Zachariah. And what happens just a little earlier in chapter one is that we learn how Zachariah and Elizabeth, that they are older. And when I say that, I'm not throwing shade at them or at anybody here in the room. The text just implies that they didn't have any children and that they were past the age where this would happen for them. And the story goes that the divine intervenes. And by some strange power, Mary, or Elizabeth carries a child to term. And in a wild and unexpected change of events, her and her husband have a son. And this is why the text says that when her neighbors and extended family heard that the tables had turned and that mercifully their poor fortune had changed, it says that they shared her joy. And this is a line that when I read it just a few weeks ago, it struck me as such an invitation during Advent, in part because there's so much light in the surrounding culture at Christmas, where sometimes even the hardest people that we work with or that we meet, they have a way of lightening up, it seems. But this light and this joy, that they extend into our community rhythms too. Just last week, we acknowledged the candle of joy in our Advent liturgy. And this is a reminder that the story speaks of hearts that are lifted and of promises of change to come. The problem is that for some of us, joy can feel pretty elusive. Perhaps because our health makes it hard for us to feel like ourselves, or maybe our year in business wasn't what we'd hoped it would be, or maybe because we aren't quite at the place in life that we'd imagined we would be. And for sure, there are plenty of legitimate reasons to feel a sense of distance from joy during Advent. A distance that, according to this story, doesn't disqualify us from participating in the light of the season. See, because even in moments of our own despair and our own difficulty, Advent quietly beckons us to share someone else's joy, someone's newfound clarity for their future, somebody's term full of honor roll grades, Maybe a corner somebody's turned in their mental health journey or a resolved relationship. Maybe new job security. And I'm sure we can all think of someone who finds themselves in a moment of turning and a moment that we could affirm with a celebratory embrace or a kind note or a well-timed acknowledgement of how we see the blessing that they are experiencing. Advent seems like a season where we should be pointing out that stuff in each other like crazy. Finding, perhaps, that sharing joy has a way of sparking joy. In part, because as C.S. Lewis noted, joy is never a possession that we hold. But rather, it's a reminder 
that we tenderly cherish. This reminder that we receive of something long ago or something far away or something still to come. A reminder of the many things, great and small, that make this world so beautiful despite the sorrow and the darkness that try to cover that up in us sometimes. So I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to share over the next couple of weeks, friends. Now, back to Elizabeth and Zachariah, because this son of theirs is born, and not unlike us and our son, people are asking, what's his name? And Elizabeth tells everyone that the kid's name is going to be John, which means Yahweh has shown favor, in case you're wondering. And everybody's confused because no one in their family had that name already. So they go to Zechariah the father, who for reasons that we're going to get into, he can't actually speak right then. And he asks for a writing tablet. And to everybody's astonishment, he writes on it, his name is John. And immediately his mouth is opened and his tongue is set free and he begins to speak, praising God. So, naming disaster narrowly averted here, but to understand what's going on, we have to rewind to the beginning of chapter one, where we read that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, this is Elizabeth's husband, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. And both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of God's commands and decrees blamelessly. And what you need to note in just those few verses there, as glowing as this sounds, this is not an exaggerated social media profile. The ancient author is actually signaling to the readers how Zechariah is part of the priestly lineage of ancient Israel, and so is his wife. Oh, and they happen to be super devout. They're gold standard devout, actually. And not only do they have this right pedigree, but it sounds like they're super down to earth and approachable too. But then, of course, there's this matter of them not having any children, which in time, or in this time and in this culture, in which fertility was seen as a sign of divine blessing, this would have rightly caused them a lot of grief Because for all of their great heritage and for all of this genuine adherence to the rules and the expectations of their faith, they would have carried some shame, which would have been hard and it's certainly unfair. Now, the text says that at some point, Zechariah was on duty as a priest. And priests at that time, they followed an ordered schedule of service that depended on random selection. And this random selection was viewed as divine lottery. So it happened to be Zechariah's turn. And he's in the temple. And he's waited for this moment for months, maybe even years. This guy with a great priestly pedigree, a guy with an impeccable reputation, he's taking his God-appointed turn to burn some incense. And an angel appears to him. And quite rightly, he's terrified. And the angel says, you, you and your wife, you're going to have a son. And you're going to call him John. And he's going to be amazing. And he's going to prepare people for what God's doing in the world now. And Zechariah hears all this, and he's super unsure. Maybe he wonders if the incense is getting to him, or he actually just wants a second opinion, because he's old, remember? And so is his wife. And I love this, because the angel's like, dude, my name is Gabe, I stand next to God all the time, and God sent me. And now, because you're afraid and you didn't believe me, 
you're not going to be able to speak till this all comes true, which is kind of a weird interaction, right? A weird interaction that finds its resolution in this moment where later, friends and family joyfully come to him. They come to this old man, this decorated priest, this new father, and they ask for a confirmation of the child's name. And as he writes it down, his mouth comes open. And in a moment of inspiration, he offers a blessing, which I want to discuss. But first, I want to just let this story rest for a second. Because Zachariah as a character might come to represent different things in us. But what I can't get over is how this Advent tale is about all the ways that we do all the right things, but we still have an emptiness somewhere at our core. Or about how sometimes life brings us moments that we don't expect, and how sometimes we freeze in the face of an opportunity, or we freeze in the face of someone's affection that we've been pursuing, or we freeze in the face of someone's good faith. And like Zachariah, maybe we've got good reason to doubt or to hope or to think that that good thing might actually be for us. And I think if we read this uncritically, it's possible for us to internalize this part of the story where Zachariah's mouth is shut for not believing the angel's insane proposition instead of reading this as a story where grace brings Zachariah an opportunity to make things right. See, I think Lucy Shaw, she's a poet and she's so helpful in that she names all of the fearsome sightings and experiences in these stories around Jesus' birth. How the angels are always having to tell people, don't be afraid. And I love how Shaw admits that while sudden dazzling encounters with the divine are fearful and quite rare, both in ancient and contemporary contexts, How those kinds of encounters are the very thing she longs for, she writes. These moments when we sense God's nearness. Those moments in life when we are sure that we are doing the right thing. When we know we've made the right choice. Those times when things seem to fall into place and the way seems to appear out of thin air and we have this holy sense of going in the right direction. Moments where we have every right to be a little intimidated and to be asking ourselves or offering quiet prayers under our breath with the question, how can this be? And for all the moments like that, where we feel like we've held back and where we didn't risk and we didn't believe that some goodness was in fact for us, Zechariah offers us a model for what happens when we fail. And his story speaks of how the divine is always conspiring to bring about the unexpected. How missed opportunities are rarely the last opportunity. And how maybe, just maybe, your fear and your hesitancy will someday dissolve in the face of God's kindness that comes again to you. And your heart in that moment will answer and have the courage to step into that holy space. Now, Zechariah names his son. 
And his mouth opens in an inspired prayer. And I want to read the whole thing to you here. Zacharias said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. And that word praise in English, it's derived from the Latin benedictus. It's the title of this prayer. It just means blessed. And he says, praise be to God because God has come to the people and redeemed them. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David as said through the holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember the holy covenant, the oath the Lord swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve without fear in holiness and righteousness before God all our days. And you, my child, and he's speaking to his son John now, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare a way to give God's people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness everywhere and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And man, I wish I could just read that over and over. There's so much in these poetic lines, especially in this last stanza, which Eugene Peterson translated as through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break toward us, shining on those in darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way, one step at a time, down the path of peace. So don't be afraid to take these words with you. That said, one quick note here, as we did with Mary's Magnificat a few weeks ago, we note how this prayer of Zechariah is a composite of callbacks to the Hebrew scriptures, to God's work in times past, and this hopeful anticipation that God's doing something again, here and now. And Zechariah, not unlike each of us in the face of a new horizon, or in the face of a new gift, or with this new source of life around us, he seems to see this divine work represented in this new hope that has come to him, and he happens to be looking at his son while he offers this blessing. And while there are a few images here that I'd love to just pull out, I want to draw our attention to that line near the beginning where Zacharias celebrates how God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David as promised by the prophets long ago. Because here, with this language of a horn of salvation, Zechariah is drawing on a recurring image of the divine in the Hebrew Bible. Places like Psalm 18 verse 3 or 132 verse 7 or 1 Samuel 2 verse 10 where God is hailed as a horn of salvation, which sounds kind of funny. Or he's lifting up a horn of the anointed one, this Messiah that will come. And this image comes from a powerful animal's horn. These symbols of strength and power seen by many commentators as references to God's military prowess which is an image that has deep roots in the Hebrew imagination. Drawing on pictures like this one from Deuteronomy 33, where God is described in majesty, God is like a firstborn bull, with horns that are like the horns of a wild ox, and with them God will gore the nations, even those 
at the end of the earth. And what not, this may not be so obvious is how Zachariah's prayer is actually flipping this image. And in flipping the image, the gospel writer flips the script too. See, the gospel tale of the divine in the world begins with a birth story where instead of the divine being personified as a powerful warrior getting ready to go fight, the picture changes to that of a baby doing one of those amazingly cute newborn stretches that they do. Where as Zachariah celebrates God's faithfulness to God's people and the coming of a new redemptive movement, the display of God's power shifts from that of force and shock and awe to the sheer audaciousness of this new plan. Sorry. That all the hope for all things lies in the cries of a shivering newborn. And that the story of God's intervention will be one of God's solidarity with us, not of God's vengeful wrath for us. Which is what makes Zachariah's prayer so important for us. Because this shift in image is something that we all need. Because we live in a world that's still subject to power brokers and their promises that their horns of salvation will bring peace through control and violence and terror. But then you and I need this too because we still sometimes try to work out our salvation. We try to work salvation in ourselves with hard lines and harsh conditions, forgetting that the God we see in Christ does not come to us as a warrior but as an infant child who knows our weakness. But it's important for another reason, one that we catch glimpse of in this throwaway line after the prayer is over. After Zechariah finishes the gospel, writer is trying to get to the next section and they write, the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, Obviously, this is a reference to Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, a character who's going to rise to prominence in the Gospels. And John actually starts a public ministry that goes ahead of Jesus, lays the groundwork for Jesus' work in Palestine. But what we can't lose sight of is the leg here. How Zechariah's prayer is so important because of the time lapse that happens before it ever comes to be fulfilled. See, because as much hope and joy and inspiration that Zechariah was feeling on the day of his son's birth, all, all the feels that he has that lead to this poetic outburst, John, his son, still has to grow up. And interestingly, at the same time, so does Jesus. Exposing the lag between the important things that were said about them before they were born and the moment that those things would come to be. The lag between hope for each and every infant and the difficulty that we each find along the way, which is probably something that we all connect with. Some dream that we carried in our past and we pursued with all our strength, a dream that has been long in coming. Maybe some hope for family or for livelihood or fulfillment or for companionship hope long in arrival. Some sense that our life matters, maybe, or that our talents are meaningful, that we, in some way, are supposed to be making a difference in the world. A sense 
that we wonder sometimes if we just imagine that in our best moments. And if there's one thing Zachariah's prayer asks us to remember today, it's that the blessings that others have spoken over us, the encouragement that people have offered us, the work of self-awareness and honesty that we've done for ourselves, and the naming of our most deeply held affections and desires, those words matter. And part of returning to Advent themes each year is this willful choice to return to ancient stories, yes. But it's also a callback to us in each year-end celebration to return to a better word. Returning to the blessings spoken over us and the ones that we have said, the ones that we have carried day by day. Because there are things that are said but we have to keep living. And maybe for you, there's been a lag where you feel as though you're waiting for something that's yet to be true in you. And in that space, Zachariah's story comes with a reminder that even in your own waiting, it's still possible to find joy in sharing joy with others. That the meaning of your life is never limited by the missed opportunities, things that you feel you've missed out on, but instead that the meaning of your life is defined by God's faithful way of bringing you to the next one. Walking you beyond your fear into divine moments that you would never and could never have conjured on your own. Or maybe it's in the way that it takes our image of God as powerful or as forceful and it reminds us that in Christ, our eyes are open to see God with us, familiar with our birth stories and all that unfolds after them. An image that holds us in the leg that we discover between the dreams that we adopt and we pursue and the person that we become teaching us to trust God's faithful work right there in the middle. Let's pray. God, sometimes these stories have a way of bringing us strange comfort in the way that they name our struggle and our hurt and our confusion and in the way, too, that they speak to us of the way that you are ever and always coming into the world. And this is what we hold to today at the end of this year's Advent waiting, but certainly for some of us in the middle of some challenge or some disorientation that we can sense even now. And so we ask, come and be God with us. Come and bind our tired hearts in the promise of this season. And in this darkness, give us courage to share the joy of others, taking joy as promise for the days that are to come. We ask too that you'd give us clarity to see that for all the times that we have missed out, for all the opportunities we feel we were ready for, but then for whatever reason we missed out on, perhaps we messed up. God, in spite of those things, you are steadily bringing new life to bear. And we pray 
as Zachariah prayed, looking at his son and holding the promise for the future that you would give us grace to trust a better word. In those places where hope and light have been long in coming to us, may your goodness settle in us this Christmas. Oh God, come to be with us. This is our hope. Amen.